Amen. Thank you, Addison. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. So how many of you went for a nice walk in the snow last week? How many of you went for a nice walk in the snow just to get out and enjoy the sunshine? And how many of you went skiing in the snow? All right. How many of you went sledding in the snow? Yeah, very good, very good. How many of you thank God for climate change this week? How many of you bemoaned the climate change this week? My hands up. I thought the Lord saved me from the snow when I moved to Vancouver, but uh, ah, anyway, it was beautiful this week, and soon the blessed rain will take it away. Amen. <clears throat> ah, very good. And I do think that Florence should introduce her fiancé quickly. Florence's fiancé is here from Singapore, and I forgot your name. Welcome. All the way from Singapore to see our snow. <laughs> Very good. Well, I didn't know how Addison was going to lead this part, and uh, I'm just amazed at what God put in your heart, Addison, because uh, my notes say, so this is traditionally our New Year's address. Our church has been going through a series of the whole Bible. We're taking a whole book of the Bible each Sunday, and this Sunday we're pausing from that, and uh, I'm just supposed to bring a New Year's address. So I get to be the senior pastor here, the lead elder, and talk about where we're heading forward. But my first note I wrote was um, something like, where is this little note I had? I had wrote myself a note that instead of casting vision, when James says you don't even know what tomorrow holds, right? The book of James says that. Actually, we should spend time giving thanks for what God has been doing among us. Because that we do know, is we do know what God has done. And there's much that we can be thankful for. So I really appreciate how you kicked off with a little bit of that and even in groups with uh, thanking God like that. And uh, having Evan share is part of that. He didn't tell us. His, he could be a, a marine engineer working on a ship, but we have his expertise training our children in East Village kids. And I just think that's really cool. Although I think he should find a way to do both because... I think the ships are pretty awesome also. <laughs> and I didn't know the children were in with us. So children, I'm glad you're here today. And uh, today is going to probably be a little bit low-key and casual because we've just had two weeks of this Christmas break that just continues. And in fact, our school, the students get a whole nother week of Christmas skiing. And uh, they're excited about that. The teachers won't tell you this. They have to work, but they're excited that you're not there. And... Um, no, hey. And anyway, it's an interesting time that we're in. As a church, the past year, we've been sometimes referring to how the elders have summed up God's call on us. And we sum it up this way. We say that God has called us to be a loving family, bringing life and hope to our local community. So God's called us to be a loving family, bringing life and hope to our local community. And we seek to connect to serve and to equip both members and outsiders who are seeking God, 
in the hope of seeing people redeemed, relationships restored, and our neighborhood renewed. And that's just a good summary of what God's called us to be about. When I think of the year ahead and what God has for us, I actually feel that we need to come back to the very first part which of our statement that says that God's called us to be a family. And that the value of connecting and relationship is actually what God wants us to again renew and again focus on. Over the past two years of COVID ups and downs, it's actually been the strength of our relationship between us that has really helped us. It's been hard for everybody in society, and it's been hard for all churches and all organizations, all schools, all workers. It's been difficult for everyone. But one thing that's really helped us has been the strength of our relationship one to another. And yet, that's the area that we most need to strengthen again. It's not actually that we need to create a big project and do something spectacular. But really, God wants to continue to have the household of God be the place that Psalm 68 says, he sets the lonely into family. And again and again, I meet people who tell me how they've been touched by being part of our congregation. And it's actually that aspect of being received by all these different people. These people who are so different from one another. We have all different walks of life. Some of us have been here a long time. Some are here for a short season. Then God moves us to another school, another city, another employment. But during the time that people are here, there's this aspect of knowing that God receives us and we're received by one another that heals us, encourages us, strengthens us, and gives us family. God didn't actually design us to be just individuals without community. And he didn't design his church to be a self-help place where you teach tools and people go home and live life in isolation again. One of the things that's actually difficult right now is that because of health restrictions, there's been so much that we've been separated by, and it comes right across the one thing that God has so dear to his heart is community. God made us in community. God himself talks about himself in community, from the first book of Genesis, in chapter one, where he says, let us, plural, let us make people in our image, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not the lonely giant, not the lonely controller, but the Father who lives in community with family. And that all through scripture, what he was seeking was that he would be their God and they would be his people, and that God would have fellowship with people. The great loss that we read in Genesis chapter 3 is the separation of God from mankind because of man's sin. And the great restoration that we see from Jesus onward, and actually the promises looking forward to Jesus, the great restoration is that God would take care of the sin problem and open the door of fellowship with him once again. And so the great good news that we have to share one to another is, I'm loved, I'm accepted, and so are you. And what we have in common together with one another is that we are all forgiven people 
who have access to heaven. And we're forgiven people who are created uniquely different to supply one another. I think Jay read that this morning from Ephesians. Was that Ephesians you were reading, right? Yeah, where he, God actually created us to supply one another with what he's given through each of us. And each of us are meant to be uniquely different from one another. Hebrews. You were in Hebrews. Sorry. Ephesians has the same idea in chapter 4. We're meant to be uniquely different from one another and bring to the body that part which we have to offer. I'd like us to open our Bibles. I don't have any uh, overheads this morning or any uh, PowerPoints. But find a Bible and find one person that you're going to share your instant thought with. We're not going to take five-minute discussions, but we're going to read a passage and then tell somebody beside you what comes to mind. All right? Three passages. A famous passage in Acts chapter 2 is where we'll start. Now, this is after the resurrection, and then there's the day of Pentecost, when the disciples are praying and suddenly the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them and a huge crowd comes. Peter stands up and preach and a whole bunch of people repent because they realize that Jesus, who they've just crucified a few weeks before, is actually the Messiah. And they repent and they turn to God and thousands of people start to follow God. And then there's this summary of kind of what they prioritized in their New Year's address. What comes to mind when you read this passage? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and we're just going to read verses 38 to 47, and then I'm going to give you about 30 seconds each to tell the person beside you what comes to mind when you read that. The priorities of the early church. So at the end of his sermon, the people were cut to the heart, and Peter says, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In verse 42 and onward, I want you to look at this and then share what comes to mind about what they devoted themselves to. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, the fel and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions and gave to whoever was in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." Tell your friend what comes to mind with what they devoted themselves to in verse 42 and onward.
30 seconds are up. Maybe you both shared, maybe you didn't, but one of you who was listening, something your friend said. One of you who was listening, what, what came to somebody's mind? Yeah? A meeting without eating is cheating. That is awesome. <laughs> All right, nobody else needs to share. We're done. Like, that's just... <laughs> wow. Somebody else. Yes. So my friend said, uh, fellowship and humanism for Christ is death. The subject of the word is bread. Fellowship and the symbols of Christ's death. Yes. Yeah. Something else. <laughs> Devoted. They were serious. They devoted themselves. Very good. All right, next passage. Turn to the right a few pages till you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. One Thessalonians chapter 4. The last couple of weeks, I was taking time to actually look through all of the pastoral letters. When we read from the book of Acts, the church began and then the church spread. And throughout the book of Acts, you read how churches were started all over. But then the, next, the rest of the New Testament is the apostles writing to those churches that were beginning to meet. And many years after, the churches who had continued to be meeting... And one of the things that you can look for in almost all of the pastoral letters is this pattern of starting off with praises of what God has done, followed by, and then how should we live? And so this week I was looking at the transition from part A to part B in lots of the pastorals, and we won't go through all of them, but here in Thessalonians we have that transition where Paul has been telling lots of things and then he suddenly talks about how then shall we live? And we'll just pick it up in verse 3 for the sake of time. Chapter 4, verse 3. He then tells the church something about what their New Year's address, what their current focus should be. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should learn to control your bodies in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject the human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life might win the respect of outsiders and that you will not be dependent on anyone. What comes to your mind from reading that couple of paragraphs? 
Tell your friend again. What are some things that somebody beside you said? Live set apart. Yes. Something else. And to listen to the Holy Spirit what it means to love others that day. You say that day. Yeah. Each day, what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to lead you in loving others? Yeah. Somebody else? Given it should be given. If there's that attitude, there's never a need. Good. Okay, the two aspects that I wanted to draw out are already been said. That in the New Testament, we see this again and again, that we're called to be sanctified or to be set apart, and we're called to love one another. And we see that theme come out over and over throughout the New Testament. We actually live in a funny society where there's a lot of talk about being inclusive and sometimes we misunderstand what that means when applied to the kingdom we are part of a nation that needs to be inclusive but we're part of the kingdom of heaven that is very inclusive of all who are forgiven and yet there is a very very clear us and them and so what we read in this scripture is the need to be sanctified or set apart. That you're actually taken out of darkness. We're nothing like the world that we live in because the values of the kingdom of heaven have come into us and made us a different person. We've been born again. We've been saved from. And so we have to always keep in mind that God is calling us to save people from and then bring them into his inclusive family. And that's very different than being one with a world of sin. He's called us out of that. He's separated us out of that. He's sanctified us. And our lives are extremely different from the secular world around us. Last passage. Turn to the right. Titus, the end of the book of Titus. If you get to Hebrews, you went too far. The end of the book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus, a pastor who is left on the island of Crete to lead the church there. And Paul's writing to him. And in the middle of his, uh, what he says to Titus, he gives him a summary that was almost like a saying of the time. It was a little phrase that people used to sum up a lot of things like we might do with the Apostles' Creed or something. Just skip over to verse uh, 8, and then we're going to go backwards again. Look at how important he thinks his little saying or his creed is. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. 
but avoid controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, so forth and so on and so on and so on. He's like, there's lots of all the things that you can get all caught up in, but please avoid all of that and stress what is really important, which I've just told you in verses 3 to 7. Back to verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Now that's quite a statement. Your passion, oh, it's good to have passions. Your pleasures, your happy things. And yet he describes them as things that had enslaved them. And you know that can happen as well. At one time, we too, we were just like the rest of the world. We were deceived, disobedient, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us with gen- on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of the hope of eternal life. Let's just read verses 5 onward again, and then you can tell your friend what you think of 5 and 6. Verse 5, chapter 3. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his faith, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Okay, share with somebody what that means to you or what comes to mind when you read that. All right. What are some thoughts that are coming out in your group? What did somebody say to you? He offers greater things than this world. He offers greater things than what's in this world. Good. Yeah? Often non-believers feel like uh, being a Christian is a lot of rules and rule-keeping. But here it says it's actually a regeneration through the Holy Spirit. There's nothing to do with rules. Christianity has nothing to do with rules. It's about their regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. Yes. If you think Christianity is about the rule book, you've misunderstood the Bible. It's about the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Somebody else? Yeah? Right. Not being uh, following our flesh, but being led by the Holy Spirit. 
justified by his grace that we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, so that those who are in your church, get that? He wasn't talking about so that people outside, he's talking about so we. So people in your youth group, so people in your connect group, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. All right. Two passages of Jesus. We won't take your time to turn here, but I'm just going to read them to you. John chapter 13, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, if you love the people in your youth group, the people in your connect group, the people sitting beside you, if you love each other, those outside the kingdom will know that you belong to Jesus. That's how the world knows that you belong to Jesus. Not by how much money we gave to the flood relief last month. That was important. Don't get me wrong. That's important. We help with the Abbotsford flood. But that isn't actually what the neighborhood sees that says those people must belong to Jesus. It's when people love one another. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You, you all, it's plural, you all are like a city set on a hill. When you love one another, when you're separated from the world, when you're living according to God's ways, when you're led by the Holy Spirit and not by your fleshly desires, you're like a shining light to a world around you. And people say, can I be part of that family? And from the time Jesus rose from the dead until now, this is what has caused people to be part of his family. This is what has caused people to be part of his family, is the love that they see in the kingdom for one another. The open door of heaven giving us the life of God and flowing out to those around us. God did not call us to just live in individualism. He called us to be together. He didn't call us to go to a self-help meeting or to watch online. I'm sorry for those of you watching online. He, didn't call, he actually didn't call you to be a TV Christian where you just watch something, learn some tools, take notes, and go home and do it. We're an interconnected group of people. And that comes out when times of need is when we most often see that. Uh, we heard this morning about uh, David and Vicki coordinating for us to see Lindsay Dixon. What you might not know is that for many, many months, Todd and Maria and David and Vicki have been helping Lindsay as her health has had lots of challenges. Why is that? Because love of God is pouring out to her. And I don't think she's going to watch online today so I can talk about her. <laughs> Lindsay, if you happen to see this someday, we love you. We do. That's why people are concerned and praying, and that's why there's text messages going out to groups saying, hey, this is happening. Here's an update. Can you pray? Another 
uh, a couple that we need to pray for is Daniel and Ingrid. Daniel preached a couple weeks ago about the book of Job, and he talked about how he felt like he was living through the book of Job. And their work visas got all confused because of a mistake that some uh, immigration, um, what do you call it, a help consultant, some mistake made by the consultant, and so because of some minor error, it got denied, then they went to the border to try to fix it, and it got worse, and the only way to fix it is to leave the country and come back. And so with two days' notice, they got flights to Mexico, and next Saturday, they hope to be allowed to come back in. And they are actually under a lot of stress, and it cost them like an extra five to seven grand, which some of us are giving towards. And if you want to give towards that, who do we see? Aaron. Who? Aaron. If you want to give towards that, see Aaron and help them, because they don't have that kind of money. And uh, we, we want to help and stand with them. Next Saturday noon, be praying for the immigration officer at the Vancouver airport. And at the moment, he has to have some little email approved before he can get, even get on the flight in Mexico to come home. And his wife and daughter got approved, and his said, under review. So the fear is that he'll get stuck there, and they'll come home without him. So let's pray for Daniel and Ingrid. Now, let's pray right now, shall we? Father in heaven, we lift up Daniel and Ingrid Martinez. You know, Lord, what a blessing they've been in our midst. You know their employments here in Vancouver and even at our school. And Father, we ask that you would work through all of these administrative errors that have been made, and that you would correct them, that you would give them favor. Lord, you know that they've had a landed immigrant application that they've also been waiting on and the unknown timeline of that. We ask, Lord, that you would bless them today. Lord, we ask that you would guard over their health so they'd be able to board the plane to come back home. And Lord, we pray that you would give them favor with immigration in Canada and work out all of these details and provide for them to have their visas renewed and their permanent residence approved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Jesus said he's given us a new command to love one another. I want to wrap this up now. Kingdom living is about doing life together in his presence. Kingdom living is actually about doing life together in his presence. And when we look at the new year ahead of what has God called our church to, I would like to liken it to your own personal families. We've just come through a holiday season. You had the days of Advent. You had Christmas. We heard last week that if you're Filipino, you've been having Christmas since, you were, since September, and uh, I think it ends in March, right? And, and uh, we've just had a week where most people had some downtime between Christmas and New Year's, and their schedule got at least a, li a little slower. What are your ideals if you happen to be home for Christmas, or you had your family with you, and not all of you did? But if you did, what are your ideals? Do you sit down with your family and your kids and you have a big Christmas dinner and then you say, okay, guys, this year we're going to accomplish these five things as a family. Now, maybe you are that kind of family. If you are, I would leave. But no, um, but not too many of us have that kind of a family, right? Like if you think of a traditional, wonderful situation where grandma and grandpa are both living and there's 
kids and grandkids and there's presents and you've got some downtime and you all get together and you have a whole wonderful day and a big Christmas dinner that mom didn't have to cook. Somehow it just happened to happen and you didn't have to do the dishes. They just took care of themselves like in the movies. And, and in the end of that, can you imagine sitting down with that crowd and saying, okay, guys, now here's the five things we're going to accomplish this year. Businesses do that. Families don't. And I want to say that the church is closer to the family than the business. I know there's things that God's called us to. And as a family, we're praying that God will give us approval for the building next door to be approved. And in two weeks, we're asking all of us, by January 16, how much are we able to give towards that project? There's things that we're going to accomplish together. And that's one that I think the Holy Spirit's saying, finish the work. Get it done. This is a phase. You're done. Be done with it. But actually, that kind of thing, or we have a school, or we have an East Village Kids Daycare. There's things that we want to see happen in those ministries that we have together. But actually, those goals or those milestones that we hope to achieve are not what the family identity is about. And God has called us to, first of all, be a loving family. That's how our phrase starts, to be a loving family that does certain things in the community for the purpose of God redeeming and restoring and renewing. Yes, but the starting point isn't the five goals that we're going to achieve and our strategies to get them done. The starting point is that God has called us to be a loving family because Jesus said to love one another. And because the foundation of that is that the people who follow Jesus are the ones who are taken out of the world and they're infilled with the Holy Spirit and they're given his power to love one another. They're given a part to play in the kingdom where your unique skill and your unique interest is actually shared with others. But what we do have in common with all of us and what we all value is a meeting without eating is cheating. All right. Was that Naomi? Was that Naomi that came up with that? Natalie. It was yours, right? That was Natalie's saying. And I had in my notes that one thing that I do believe God wants us to do is COVID restrictions are going to come to an end very soon. For about eight years, this congregation ate lunch together every Sunday. For about eight years, we ate lunch together every Sunday. And then we moved it to once a month, and then we went through a couple years of renovating downstairs. We had a winter time where we had no heat in here, and we had gas furnaces blowing on up here and fumes everywhere. And now, when the beautiful kitchen reception hall is ready to use, we haven't been eating together. And that is a crying shame. Because actually... What we read in the book of Acts is they gave themselves to a bunch of stuff and to fellowship. Fellowship was put right there on an equal footing with the apostles teaching and breaking of bread. It really was. Because it's in the time of fellowship that the lonely are set into family. That the sinner finds out that you were just like they were and you found a new life. That the city set on a hill is demonstrated. That these people actually enjoy being together. They're not a club of like-minded, all things 
the same. They're these diverse people that get to know each other and they supply one another's needs. And I honestly feel that God wants us to restore a food and hospitality that has been waning. If you're interested in that, you have to see Mona wave. All things food, Mona can point you to. Wonderful. All right, some other practical things that God can do among us to build the loving family. Have a conversation with somebody. Affirm what God has done in them. Invite a few people to your home. Adopt a grandparent because you need one. Assist someone with some skill that you have. Marine engineer. Care for somebody who's in the hospital or watch somebody's children. Plan a summer vacation with a few other people. Rent out an extra room in your house or just make it available for all the travelers that come and go. Just this week, Tony and Verena showed me a space that they've just finished for that purpose. And we often get people coming to Vancouver for the hospital and they get stuck, their family members need a place to stay. Teach West Coast kids. Talk to Christina about that. Come to our school and read stories to kids. Be a recess monitor and talk to Tina about that. Join a midweek connect group. Commit yourself to once a week getting together with other people just to do life. Many, many years ago, I hope you don't mind me saying this, David, David Ferguson in an elders meeting, I've never forgotten this, he said something about their connect group. And he said, you know, most Wednesdays, I'm tired. And I think, I do not want to go back out tonight. I just had dinner. I don't want to go to so-and-so's house. But then I feel the Holy Spirit say, but maybe there's something that God wants to give the body through you. Maybe you have something that you can contribute to the group. You don't want to go, but maybe God wants to use you. And David said, so I go. And then at 9 o'clock or 9.30, I think, how did I almost miss that? Oh my goodness, I was so blessed tonight. And he comes home full because as you give, God gives to you. Make a Sunday lunch. Join a group with food for friends and making, lunch for, making food for others. Be one of those three people who helps to plan the 100th anniversary stuff from February to April that we need to plan. Join the three or four other people who will be on call when it snows and shovel the snow. Because we don't know when it's coming. You just have to be flexible. Or set up tables and chairs. Or wash the dishes afterwards. Or invite a neighbor to come and join your family. Jesus said that his family wasn't his biological family, but those who follow God. This is your family. The people who choose to follow God. I'm going to close there. I haven't had a three-point sermon for you. I've just given from three different passages this glimpse of the New Testament church that is the same today as it was then. That the priority of God isn't so much five goals that we have. The priority of God is that we know that we're separated from the world and that we love one another. And we've been looking at all these different passages in that framework. We're separated from the world and we're called to love one another. And through that, 
we become the church that God wants us to be in 2022. God bless you.